to the weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, July 31st, 2009. I'm Elena Rangi. The New York Hall of Science unveiled their newest exhibit on June 20th, Rocket Park Mini Golf. Given my weakness and appreciation for both mini golf and astrophysics, I couldn't really resist a trip out to the Hall of Science in Queens. Yes, I played a round of golf, but I also found out what it takes to design a world-class science exhibit and met some of the people behind the project. This week, we launch into exhibit design with a little space science on the side. This is it. This is it, we're here. And it's not very crowded right now. I know, the benefits of a Monday afternoon. It may be a beautiful, sunny summer afternoon at the New York Hall of Science, but I've stepped outside with Eric Siegel, the hall's director, for some extremely serious and scientific business. All right, here are the setup guys. Here you go. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Would you like a scorecard? Um, I don't know if we're going to play for score. I think we're going to play for science instead. Okay. Yeah. Good luck. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Still in the dark? I'm at the Rocket Park Mini Golf Course, the newest outdoor science exhibit at the New York Hall of Science, aiming to teach kids and parents about rocket science. One of the ways that this idea came about was that famous image of playing golf on the moon. Oh yeah! Right, so so this is kind of a t- it's timely to be talking about that right now. So <laughs> forty years ago. Yeah. Okay, so is this oh hole one? Hole one. The launch window. Okay, so Eric, are you going to go first? Rocket Park opened June twentieth, but it's been more than three years in the making. When it comes to exhibit design, that's actually pretty quick. Siegel's full-time job is to think up new science exhibits and make them happen. We do everything, including working with artists to come up with new ideas, working with other colleagues who are investigating some area in science that they want to have a public focus on. You know, some of the time we just spend sort of thinking of new ideas. And so the thinking of the ideas is fun, and we're doing that all the time. And sometimes it's thinking of like a big new idea, like how can we use the rockets out front to get people interested in science? Then you think, well, let me think. And they say, okay, Rocket Park Mini Golf, that could work. And then the creativity is in coming up with specific things that you can implement. So what does Rocket Park Mini Golf actually look like? Well, it has nine holes. What do those holes consist of? So that's true of every kind of exhibition we do. So can you describe what, what's sure. happening here? So here's a, a rotating disc that counts down from 10 to 0. And the idea is to hit the ball at the right time so that it goes in through an opening in the disc, which is literally and figuratively the launch window. Okay. Oh... Exhibit design is a pretty new field, getting started about 30 years ago. Siegel says there's a formula he and his team use. This little Venn diagram that we have, that we carry around in our head. One is, you know, what are you really interested in? We have one of our scientists who's really passionate about teaching young people evolution, right? Great, so that's one part of the Venn diagram. Then the intersection of that is, you know, what are our audiences interested in and how can we collect the resources to do it? So there's a three-part Venn diagram. And the intersection of sort of passion about something or, you know, expertise slash passion, the availability of resources, whether it's money, and third is what our audience is going to be engaged in. So you try to find the intersection of those. Actually, is um, the one that I, that's given us the most headaches, so it's not that complicated. Um, the idea is that there's a right path and a wrong path, too, either too close to the planet or too far from the planet wow. to get into orbit. So, um, so 
So and then there's a middle path, which is the right way to go. So. So you got to go up the purple path, basically. Go up the purple path. Follow the purple, okay. purple brick road there. And they have to hit it with a knob. Oh wow! Uh, this one is tricky. Not enough velocity. Not enough. Wow! Look at you. You're learning <laughs> stuff. Then it goes into a profound gravity vortex. And the astrophysicists love this one. This profound gravity vortex, along with the rest of the Rocket Park course, was designed by New York's Lee H. Skolnick Architecture and Design Partnership. You've seen their work if you've been to the Sony Wonder Lab in Midtown, or if you've checked out the Hubble Telescope exhibit at the Alder Planetarium in Chicago. Lee Skolnick's been designing exhibits for more than 20 years, something he says he didn't even know existed when he first entered the design world. I had just graduated architecture school at Cooper Union, and someone called, a friend of a friend of a friend called, and she was the director of the Staten Island Children's Museum. This was like in 1980. And she said, we're going to do this exhibit on four centuries of Staten Island history, and we need an exhibit designer, and, you know, you're a friend and you're an architect, and I thought, you know, would you want to talk to us? And my first thought was, people design exhibits? Never even occurred to me. But what came out of my mouth was, yes, of course. But it was this incredible learning curve for me because I was thrusted to a situation where the purpose of the thing that was going to be designed was going to be to deliver information in a visceral, intuitive way that would reach people on a variety of different levels, kids, adults, you know, kinesthetically, intellectually, sensually, you know, in, in any way possible. And it was just this amazing epiphany for me that design can be used to deliver simple or complex information. So when Skolnick got the call from Siegel about Rocket Park, he jumped on the challenge. Rocket Park had some pretty big design hurdles. It had to be built to endure years of New York winters and summers of tromping children's feet. Not to mention, it had to teach astrophysics. But Skolnick's team was ready. It really started where they wanted to do an outdoor activity. They didn't know what it would be. We tossed around a few different ideas. It wasn't only golf, and it wasn't only rocket science. And so th this kind of got interpolated down into, it is mini golf and it is rocket science. And then Alan Friedman, who was then the, the president or CEO, and a physicist, and a just incredible science educator, I mean, he was our go-to guy because his standard was, this is not going to be symbolic or representational or a metaphor. I want every single hole to physically demonstrate a physics concept. So you, you, it had to be literal. It couldn't be, oh, this is kind of like that, um, which was made it much more challenging. I'm Alan Friedman. I have a doctorate in physics, and I was the director of the New York Hall of Science for 22 years until I retired in 2006. I did academic university physics, and then about 35 years ago, I started a little part-time temporary project in a science museum and have been in science museums ever since. The challenge of kind of science museum at the New York Hall of Sciences, we don't collect objects. We don't do original research in our topic matter. Our job is to do research and learn how to communicate science. And that is a very worthy and deep topic in itself. How do you communicate something? How do you share both your knowledge, but also your excitement, your commitment, your passion? How do you share that with a wider audience? 
we don't know that much about how to do it. It's not like, say, physics today, where we have a set of laws that are absolutely reliable, that we know work even on other planets and other galaxies. We don't have the basic laws of how people learn and how they learn science in particular. We do have a lot of tentative and partial ideas, but it's an important and interesting challenge. This one is mysterious. It's much harder to do than you would think. The space junk. The space junk. It looks like we thought it was going to be an easy one, but we were right. A lot of people who get stuck here. So the trick is to golf over the space junk. No, through it. Through. Yes. Some antics. That's over. <laughs> wow, we're, that's what you call, oh no. I was going to say sand pit, but not quite. Seagulls hit his ball way off onto the grass, and as I wait for him to get it, I check out the two antique rockets behind us. They're real NASA rockets from the 1960s. Tall, thin, and silver. And they were part of Seagull's inspiration for space-themed mini-golf. Friedman says he immediately saw how golf could teach physics. Eric is not a physicist, but... He said, there's, there's got to be something in the trajectory of a golf ball that's sort of like the trajectory of a spaceship. So then I thought about it and said, it's actually a very rich and deep idea. The only thing affecting a rocket ship when the rockets are turned off, that is after you've launched and you are either in orbit or you're on your way to another planet, the only thing that affects motion is gravity and inertia. And when you think about a golf ball, gravity works in a golf ball, but once a golf ball is launched, either because you hit it off a tee or it's rolling across a smooth surface like a putting green, then the only things affecting the golf ball are a little bit of friction, and then you have gravity and inertia. And gravity is modified by the curvature of the surface. In space, gravity is modified by the presence of large bodies, like planets and moons. So this, this is the gravity whip, and the idea is that if you hit it close, the right path around the planet, which represents uh, a gravitational mass, it will go, it will reach Jupiter. It's called either gravitational assist or gravitational slingshot. The idea is you want to get to a hole that you can't get to directly either because in the case of miniature golf, there's something in the way, or in the case of space, it's a very long distance. And tr to try and travel there in a straight line would take an extremely long time. So what you do is to use another planet. You fire your rocket ship near but not directly at another body, which could be the moon, it could be Mars, it could be any gravitational body, and then you use the gravity of that planet as a slingshot to bend the course of your rocket ship without any energy having to be put in on your part, change its course, head it towards where you want it to go, sometimes even speeding it up as you go. So this is actually used in spaceflight. As Siegel and I try to whip our golf balls around the gravitational field of Mars, a couple of kids look on, and I'm suddenly very aware that I'm in an exhibit made for children. Rocket Park is definitely geared at school-age kids. Its retro 1960s colors and feel make it pretty irresistible, even if you have no interest in space. And the course is fun in itself. 
but my physics knowledge has definitely got a refresher from these nine holes. And I can't help thinking the kids must be learning something about space as they play. Skolnick says from his experience, there's a trick to designing for children. Well, we've done about probably over 50 children's museums around the country. You know, usually what we're trying to do is present information that they're not familiar with. And so what we've learned is that you have to start with what they are familiar with and kind of make a bridge between what interests them and what they can say, oh, yeah, I know about that. You know, that, I'm not, you know, that doesn't scare me, it doesn't intimidate me. And then sort of like <laughs> trick them into sort of walking through the door or the wall to get at something that they haven't thought about or didn't know they might be interested in. And we talk about narrative and storytelling as a means of, co- of communication in space you know, in three dimensions. So how do you make a three-dimensional narrative? How do you get kids hooked on something that then they just, it draws them in and it, it carries them along? And, you know, the, that, that was why we chose to, to make the, even Rocket Park into, you know, just a very simple storyline. And, you know, not everybody will pick up on it, but some people will. And, you know, when they splash down, they'll re- remember. And Friedman agrees. From watching people playing it, from listening to to visitors talk to explainers, I think people are, in fact, learning something. Partly, I think what they're learning is nonverbal. It's that they feel what's happening with that ball. They keep hitting it, they keep watching its trajectory, and finally they figure out, oh, I gotta hit it about here and about this hard, and then nature will take over and guide my ball right to the hole. So you may not have the physics terms to use, but you are experiencing kinematically a sense of how the physics works. And then I think when you get into school studying this or you're reading about it in years to come, oh, I know what that is. That's what I was doing on that little golf course. So I think people are getting a feeling for the behavior of the physics, which in one sense is more important than knowing the equations and the words. So you kind of need to get a little bit of air on this Yeah, one. but no matter where you get it, you're going to lose the ball because this is the ninth hole, so that's how we control <gasps> oh, it. Siegel and I are by far, shall we say, over par when it comes to actual golf skills. And I think the seven-year-olds behind us may have more finesse. So does Rocket Park teach rocket science? Yeah, I think so. But more importantly, it was fun. And personally, I think that's the way all science should be. For Science in the City, I'm Elena Rangan. Yes. Thanks for tuning in. If you can't get enough of Science in the City, you should try following us on Twitter. Visit us at www.twitter.com slash city. Science in the City is a non-profit program of the New York Academy of Sciences. This means that we need your continued support to keep bringing you this weekly podcast series, as well as the rest of the Science in the City program, like our events series and our new website. For more information on Academy membership or to support Science in the City today, Log on to scienceandthecity.org. And as always, we would love your feedback on any of the programs we run here at Science in the City. Send us an email at scienceandthecity at nyas.org. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 212-298-8654. See you next week.